We're going to do a little Bible study tonight, if that's okay. Uh, we've got eight amazing verses uh, to look at together, and, um, uh, and I'm really excited to get stuck into it with you, because basically I am loving going through John's uh, gospel. There is just so much for us to get our teeth uh, stuck into, and the passage that we've got to tonight is what is commonly known as Jesus's triumphant entry. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And this is, um, this is a big moment. This is a big moment that kicks off uh, the final week of Jesus' life, what we often refer to as his passion. Uh, we often uh, celebrate this moment on Palm Sunday, but we're kind of taking a long run into Easter uh, this year so we can really kind of wrestle uh, with this story of Jesus' journey to the cross. John uh, 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after he was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Hey, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word, Jesus. We thank you for these windows into your life here uh, on earth. And, and as we just take a few moments now this morning, uh, Jesus, to look at you, to look at your life, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would change us, Reveal more of yourself to us, Lord, that we might leave this place different, that we might leave this place a bit more like you uh, than when we came in. Amen. Amen. Um, hey, I've just finished watching series three uh, of The Crown uh, on Netflix. Anyone seen uh, The Crown uh, on Netflix? I, um, I love it. I love it. Uh, I've been absolutely fascinated by it, actually, for all three seasons. Uh, this incredible kind of insight into our, uh, our royal family. And um, in, this, uh, in this latest season, I have found it uh, particularly interesting uh, watching Prince Charles's story unfold and uh, getting a glimpse, I guess, of some of the encounters, some of the experiences that have shaped who, uh, who he is. Uh, some of these things that, well, some of these things that the writers and directors of The Crown uh, think uh, have, uh, have kind of grown the kind of character that, uh, that he has today and shaped who he is. And, and, and I guess for me, it's moved him from being just a name, a kind of an unknown sort of construct of a distant figure operating in some distant mysterious world uh, to being a person who feels deeply and who has deep 
passionate uh, kind of desires about certain things. You know, someone who, uh, if he ever did become king, would bring his particular character to the crown uh, and to his kingdom, to this kingdom. Uh, And in a sense, I guess it's similar as we study the Gospels, as we look at some of the encounters and the experiences that Jesus went through, we get to know something of his character. Something more is revealed to us about who he is, what his desires are, uh, and what uh, the shape of his kingdom is, what kind of king, King Jesus is, you know, and this is why it's so important that we spend time together in uh, God's word and we get to know Jesus. And of course, John uh, is a key aid for us as we do this. Uh, and this here is a big moment. This is a transitional moment in the narrative of uh, John's gospel, um, kind of here in the middle of chapter 12. Basically, Jesus goes public. Like in a big way. Uh, This is like kind of full on, um, like Kanye West style hype. You know, this is Jesus is king. You know, that's the message here. Jesus is king. And this this is a big switch, a big change in the narrative. Yeah, we know that John uh, kicks off his book by by claiming that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The one who is to come and deliver his people. And he basically spends the first half of his book taking us through a series of encounters that Jesus has with different people uh, where he gently reveals different aspects of who uh, he is as the son of God, as the savior, as the king And these encounters, as we've seen, generally lead to confusion and to controversy and uh, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, uh, get more and more upset with Jesus as he upsets the status quo. Uh, They get angry with him and this all culminates in chapter 11 with the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, And basically this is the final straw for the Pharisees, and so they begin to plot to kill Jesus. So actually, this is a pretty epic story uh, so far. Um, But throughout all of these encounters, the interesting thing is, is that uh, in John's narrative, Jesus tries to keep a low profile. Through it all, through all these encounters, all these incredible things that we witness in the first half of the narrative, Jesus tries to keep a low profile. We read it in, um, uh, in John 6, after Jesus miraculously feeds uh, the 5,000, he says, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus is trying to keep a low profile, withdrawing to these wilderness places. But FYI, okay, raising someone from the dead, not good for keeping a low profile. Okay, so everything kind of begins to change at this point. And, uh, and the big shift happens when it kind of all goes off here in chapter 12. So I want you to kind of picture the scene um, because it's Passover. 
Okay, and Passover is, is one of the three compulsory festivals uh, for the Jews. And Passover in particular uh, attracted hundreds and thousands uh, of visitors to Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, historians estimate that there would have been two to three million Jews there in Jerusalem celebrating Passover at the time. And there is already a serious buzz about this Jesus character. Uh, and in fact, there's actually two crowds that we read about here uh, in this passage. There's, uh, there's the crowd that are following Jesus from Bethany, who have just witnessed him raise Lazarus. And then there's the crowd that are coming out of Jerusalem to meet him because they want to see this guy that they're hearing about who's just raised someone from the dead. You know, this is a crazy scene, and there is no doubt that Jesus at this time was a sensational figure. Now, of course, we know that sensationalism and sort of clever publicity can always draw a crowd, but hype on its own never lasts. And actually, we also know that many in this crowd who were shouting, Hosanna, today would be the same people who make up the crowd in a week's time shouting, crucify him. You know, hype on its own is not enough, but of course we know that there is something much deeper going on here than just hype and sensationalism. However, the hype is real, and I want us to get that picture. Okay, the hype is real. This is an epic scene, and John uses this episode in Jesus' life to declare loud and clear that Jesus is king. And actually, not just any old king, not just the king of Israel, but the king of the whole world. And so I want us to to just dive in a little bit and see how John uh, kind of makes this clear to us. So, So look, verse 12. The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So the crowd here are uh, are literally quoting a psalm. They're quoting directly from Psalm 118, uh, which for the Jews was a famous psalm of praise. It was one of the first uh, pieces of scripture that young Jewish boys would uh, would memorize. It uh, It was often sung throughout festivals like Passover, and actually, it was uh, it was known as a victory song. Uh, it was often sung as a chant uh, as men returned victorious from war. And so here we see clearly that Jesus is being celebrated as the Messiah, the long-awaited King who would come and deliver the Jews over their enemies, Uh, which was the nightmare that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had been hoping wouldn't come. And so the big question for them here is, well, what's going to happen? Is Jesus going to walk away from these praises, from this accolade in the way that he had done in the past? And of course, this time the answer is no. 
So verse 14, instead, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So quite the opposite of retreating from these praises that the people were giving him. Jesus chooses to, uh, to enact this ancient prophecy. Uh, and so Jesus is basically saying, yes, yes, I am the king of Israel. I am the Messiah. Uh, and he's doing it in the most explosively public and dangerous way that he possibly could. But, but then actually it goes even further than that. And John kind of masterfully weaves this story together to be clear to us that actually Jesus is more than just a local tribal king of Israel. Rather, he is the king of the whole world. So it goes on, verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him uh, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard he had given this miraculous sign, went out to see him. And the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now this is a really weird thing. It's a strange thing for the Pharisees to say at the beginning of a Jewish festival in Jerusalem. Yeah, but John uses this unwittingly profound statement to reveal something of the rich, multi-ethnic kingdom of King Jesus. And actually, if you read on in the story, John then emphasizes this even further with a, with a story about Greeks who happened to be in Jerusalem coming to see Jesus because they wanted to meet him. Greeks, not Jews, because Jesus was king of the whole world. You know, so the first point here, I guess, is the obvious one in this context of Jesus's triumphant entry. You know, simply that Jesus is king. And not just a king, but the king. He is king of Israel, king of the Jews, and king of the non-Jews. He's your king. He's my king. He's everyone's king. He's king of the people that are in. He's king of the people that are out. He's king of the people that feel right, king of the people that feel wrong. Whether they know it or whether they don't, he is king, king of the whole world. John wants us to know Jesus is king of the whole world. So this is an amazing set of eight verses. And of course, we know that John's gospel here, this book, this story is an amazing Holy Spirit inspired account with layers upon layers uh, of, of meaning. Uh, it's a masterpiece. So I want us to kind of rewind a little bit and, um, uh, and just explore a little bit deeper uh, about what this episode reveals about the nature of this king, this king of the whole 
world. So, uh, so just rewind with me back to verse 13 as the crowd shouts, Hosanna. So a quick, quick word study for us. I said this is going to be a bit of a Bible study this morning. So a quick word study for us on the word uh, Hosanna. If you've been around church uh, for any length of time, you've probably come across the word Hosanna. Uh, we use it in our songs. Uh, it's in our liturgy. It's in our communion liturgy when we speak out those prayers. Uh, it's an amazing word, a rich, deep word that reveals something incredible to us about King Jesus. And, and, and of course, we know that the New Testament, the second kind of part of the Bible, was originally written in Greek, and the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, was written in, uh, in Hebrew originally. And whenever Hosanna, the word, occurs in the New Testament, uh, in, in English, all the English translators have actually done uh, is kind of transliterate the Greek. They've, they've assigned the letters H-O-S-A-N-N-A to the Greek in order to reflect the sound of the Greek word Hosanna, uh, which actually we then discover in turn is exactly what the Greek writers of the New Testament did to the old Hebrew phrase, uh, which goes something like Hoshiana, Hoshiana. And they put these sounds together to create the Greek, Hosanna, which then we translate into English, Hosanna. And the Hebrew phrase, Hoshiana, is found in only one place in the Old Testament, and that is in Psalm 118, verse 25. And its original meaning is, is literally, save, please. It's a cry uh, for help, a cry to God for help. You know, it's kind of like you've just fallen into Shadwell Basin and you cry, help, save me, please, hoshya, nah. I had to practice that. When I was doing that, I kind of went, hoshya, nah, and I kept sounding Italian, but I don't know if that sounds more Hebrew, I don't know, but hoshya, nah, help, save me, someone, please. And then over time, something interesting happens, as it does with language. A, a slight shift occurs uh, in the meaning of this phrase. And actually, when we see it in the psalm, uh, you know, this cry for help, hosha, nah, uh, was almost answered even before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. Uh, and uh, we hear this amazing phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right on the back of this cry for help. Uh, and so then over the centuries, we know that this phrase stopped being simply a cry of desperation and it turned into uh, kind of more of a shout of hope and joy. You know, instead of save me, please, it became salvation. Salvation, salvation has come. You know, it used to be what you fell, what you said when you fell into the basin. Uh, and it kind of turned into actually what you would say when you saw someone throw you one of the life rings. Hoshiana, I'm saved. Yes, salvation has come. You know, it's kind of the bubbling over of a heart that sees hope and joy. Salvation is on its way. I'm saved. Hosanna. Hosanna, it moves from a cry to, to, to confidence. 
from help me to you've got me. And so when we sing Hosanna today, it's a praise. It's, It's a shout of confidence in our King, in King Jesus, who has saved us, saved us from guilt and fear and hopelessness. Salvation has come. Hosanna. And so this is kind of where the crowds were at when they were shouting at Jesus, kind of. You know, they were shouting for the saviour that they had been waiting for. The saviour that they'd been expecting had arrived. But of course he wasn't really the saviour that they had been expecting. You know, what the Jews wanted, you know, and remember, they were an occupied nation. They were a beaten, occupied nation and had been for centuries. And their desperate desire was for a saviour who would be a conqueror, a military uh, deliverer who would come and sound the trumpet and uh, sort of sound the call to arms and gather the troops and lead the Jewish nation to its long delayed victory over Rome, over the world. But Jesus reframes this picture by arriving on a donkey. So this was a dramatic and, uh, and public fulfilling of a prophecy as Jesus, as Jesus did this. Uh, we read it in, uh, in Zechariah chapter 9, the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9. This was a prophecy about the coming Messiah arriving on a donkey. And, and in doing so, Jesus left, left no doubt that he was claiming to be this Messiah, this promised king. Arriving on a donkey was also a claim about the kind of king that was arriving. And it's easy for us to misunderstand this picture. When we think about donkeys today, we kind of think about them as silly, sort of despised animals. Eeyore is the kind of immediate picture. Um, But in the ancient East, the donkey was in fact a noble creature. Uh, And actually there are many examples in scripture and throughout history of kings and princes and judges who would ride on donkeys in peacetime. And this was the point. A king who arrived on a horse was ready for war, was ready for battle. But a king who arrived on a donkey arrived in peace, arrived with gentleness and care and compassion and love. You know, the enacted prophecy here emphasized not only that Jesus was the promised king and savior of the whole world, but also the prince of peace. You know, not a warrior king, set on conquering enemy nations and crushing those in his way. But a king whose hand is gentle and whose desire is to unite and to reconcile. To those who don't know him, 
You know, or perhaps to those who feel he wouldn't want to know them. This is good news. Yeah, Jesus comes not with a sword and a desire to, to subdue, but with compassion and care. King Jesus came not to conquer, but to console. And he gave up his power and ultimately his very life in order to rescue yours. And he's a king who now invites us, invites us all into his global, multi-ethnic, hope-filled kingdom of peace, righteousness and justice and love. This is our king. You know, you need to know that this, that this is the good news. This is the good news. And this is what Jesus' public procession was all about. And actually, it's what your public profession should be all about today. That Jesus is king of the whole world. He's mighty to save and he is gentle in love. You know, this is good news, especially for those of us who, uh, who doubt. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and, and you just feel like part of the crowd, like you're being swept along in the shout. Maybe you're just here to take a look at what you've heard about. You know, or maybe you're here because uh, you've met Jesus and you've shouted Hosanna, but perhaps a week later, shouted crucify. You know, maybe you've let him down. You know, well, you need to know today that Jesus doesn't ride on a war horse ready to take you down but he comes riding on a donkey ready to lift you up. And whether you've been a follower of Jesus for uh, 50 minutes or for 50 years, my encouragement to you is to get excited, to get excited, to lift up a shout and to sing to this king, our king, the king of the world. Even in the midst of your doubts or your, or your failings, because of the nature of our king, we know that we don't just cry for help, but we have confidence and hope. You know, when we see division all around us, we can hope for unity. You know, we can sing and we can shout for freedom and for justice. We shout, Hosanna! Salvation has come. King Jesus is here. You know, when we see domination and, and oppression and, uh, and injustice and fear, we can hope for freedom and for justice. We shout, Hosanna! Salvation has come. King Jesus is here. No matter what's going on in our lives, we can always know the overwhelming peace and love and care of Jesus and shout, Hosanna! Salvation has come. King Jesus is here. And this is our King who loves us. The God we worship. Jesus Christ, mighty 
to save and gentle in love. The Saviour who rides with us out of this church into life on a Monday morning and invites us to join in with him, establishing his global, multi-ethnic, hope-filled kingdom of justice and righteousness, of mercy, of peace, and of love. Amen.